Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday morning. I'm for certain reasons, I have a very busy podcast schedule planned for this week. Um, yesterday, I did the bio, and uh, same person was uh, is, is sponsoring today's, which is going to talk about another aspect of history. And I, for all I know, I got college starting. I may have one out tonight um, for other reasons. There's reasons for this uh, <clears throat> this particular week. Anyway, so I want to thank uh, once again. The sponsor for today, who's doing the Lezecher Nishmas Esther Bashendel, who I mentioned yesterday, passed away at over 100 years old, and then of Aliyah, and now I'll get down to business. Uh, I do thank him very much for that. Um, to, on the calendar, yesterday I did a bio. It's been a long time since I did one, I think, and I wanted to do the pre as I mentioned. Uh, tonight... It's very interesting. I was in Shul on Shabbos, and as I mentioned last time, for whatever reason, uh, Jake Shukman's no longer alive, and this one's on here, so I, I so it falls on me. I, I was looking at the Belzer uh, calendar, because that's what the Shul uses. You know, it's in a book form, and they said tonight and tomorrow is very interesting. It's like cognitive dissonance. On the one hand, it's the yard set of a Rebbe, so therefore you don't say Tachnon. On the other hand, it's a famous day of a fast day tomorrow, uh, in which case you do say Tachnon. So I'm not, you know, I guess the Belzer don't say or something like that. I don't know how they work it out because I just don't know. Um, I think we're going to say Tachnon, but but uh, it, it brought it to four. This fact I want to call your attention, which probably you don't know. Uh, one, you certainly don't know. And the other one, you should know, but don't know because that's how we all are. Um, on the one hand, tonight and tomorrow is the yard site of one of the Bells of Rebbe's from the 1800s. Most of you never heard of Rebbe Yeshua who's a very interesting figure simply because um, he was in Galicia, of course. Bells is in the extreme end of Galicia, all the way into the east. And uh, he was the most militant, as far as I'm aware, the most militant of them all. And he's the forerunner of the Agudas Yisrael. People don't know that. Um, this will, uh, if, if you want, he's like a certain Hasidic version, not exactly, but a Hasidic version of Samson Ravuel Hirsch. Not in the sense of writing books and all that, like German, but in the sense of fighting over the Kehilla. Um, When he was living, and I don't want to go to a greater Rikas about this, but I just want to mention, since I brought up the fact that it's a yard site tomorrow, so I thought it was just interesting for him as a historical figure, Rabbi Yeshua, the Rabbi Rabbi Yeshua, um, Belzer, because um, it, it, uh, Galicia is a very complicated history in the 19th century. And it, used to, and it was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. But to be pe- to be perfectly honest, there wasn't an Austro-Hungarian Empire until 1867. So just the Austrian Empire ruled by the emperor from Vienna. And Galicia was always ruled directly from Vienna. But Galicia is a very weird situation because you got Polacks, you got Ukrainians, you got Jews. You understand? And, um, you know, how do they locate themselves politically? Uh, in the Plus, Galicia was a major center of Hasidism, uh, a biggie. Like Bells, for example, but they're not the only ones. And 
what happened was that the Jews used to be uh, not emancipated, and then they got emancipated. It used to be the Jews had no civil rights, or the Gaim too. They had serfdom. You know what that means? It's like a slavery. There were the nobles and that sort of thing, and and you know the 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 small middle class and the Hamonam were peasants that were owned by Kenyan Goof by the uh, masters, and uh, you know that's the old European way, and that changed in 1848. There were a bunch of revolutions that broke out all throughout Europe. It's very famous, and many of them broke out in different parts of the Austrian Empire. There was a revolution in Vienna, there was a revolution in Prague, there was a very big revolution in Hungary, and there was even a stickle revolution, you know, in Galicia. And by the time it's all over, they switched emperors, they had an imbecile on the throne, literally. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm, this is true, not a, a pejorative, he was mentally retarded, he really was, Ferdinand. Um, but uh, they switched to Franz Josef, you've heard of him, and he became the emperor in 18, at the end of 1848, for the next uh, 68 years, that's a long time, until 1916. And one of the things that Franz Josef and the new administration did was they said, we're not going back, we're, we're going to get rid of the revolution, but certain things we're going to allow. Certain liberalizations we will permit. And one of them was an upgrade, abolishment of, of, of serfdom, and the beginning of... Um, the beginning of a process of granting civil rights to the Jews. And that took about 20 years, approximately, till 1867-1868, uh, in a very complicated way. But by 1868 or so, approximately, in economy, the Jews in Galicia, all the Hasidim members, got 100% total full of civil rights. And for the next uh, 50 years or so, uh, let's see, from 1868 to, let's say, the beginning of the First World War, or even the whole First World War, down to 1918, for the next 50 years, it was like a certain golden era from a certain point of view. From other points of view, it wasn't, but from a certain point of view, it was, because you had real freedom under the emperor in uh, Galicia. The question is, what do you do with the freedom? So this is where you had big fights over who should now control the Kehillahs, just like you had with Hirsch and Frankfurt. This is not so well known. There was a reform movement, believe it or not, in Galicia, small. Um, there was a reform temple in, in Lemberg, for example, I remember, and so forth. Um, there was a certain Haskalah movement that wanted to use its government connection to try to do what these guys in New York are trying to do, which is to make sure the Hasidic schools give a secular education. And in Europe, the Rebbe's fought a tooth and nail, and the Belzer Rebbe, whose yard says tomorrow, is the guy who set up an Agudas Yisrael, what you call Machziki Ados, already in, in the beginning of the 1870s, right? And that's the forerunner of the Agudah. After he did that, Hirsch set up what he called the Free Union, Freie Vereinigung, and eventually that morphed many years later in um, into what you and I call the Agudah. I'm oversimplifying, but I'm just saying it's interesting. And this Rebbe, he started something which is both good and bad, as he started the first from newspaper, okay, the, um, which I think was called Kolmach Zikados. And that means a Haredi newspaper with all the plus and all the minuses of that, right? All the plus and minuses. But he felt it was necessary to battle the reformer and the uh, Musculum. And, you know, I would say he fought them more or less to, more or less to a standstill. Uh, Galicia is a very, very interesting history. It's too complicated to go into now. 
there's a lady, uh, Rocha Manikin, who I know, she's a professor at, uh, at College Park, and she's written, this is like, she wrote a book in Ivrito. I have it in my house somewhere. I don't remember where, you know, I can't, I can't find it right now. I thought I knew where it is. Uh, the English title be Religion, Politics, and the Constitutional Monarchy, the Struggle Over the, the Control of the Jewish Communities in Galicia from 1848 to 1883. There you have it. <clears throat> okay? Um... It was during this period, by the way, again, I'm just oversimplifying, that the uh, they had elections. No, there's one thing I civil rights, everybody could vote. They had elections, and uh, the Hassam Sofer's son was a, was a member of parliament. I don't want to go into it now. Roshim and Sofer in Krakow. Now, that's all the way on the other side of, of Galicia. So, I'm just saying that this yard's of a, of a famous person who was a a big macher back in the day. Most of us don't even know anything about him. Okay? And the whole idea of having a separate newspaper and he bodlu mitochet or azos is just an interesting idea. Is it a good idea? Not a good idea. The, um, what do you call it? The um, Nitziv in his famous teshuva where he's opposed to separation and separate kehillahs uh, was writing to the this newspaper. I think they solicited a uh, 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 a, a reply from him or something like that. And he came from a completely different environment in Volosh and in Russia, where the idea was the Gaim was such a bunch of Mamzerim and anti-Semitic under the Tsars, which was not the case in Austrian Empire. That Francios was actually favorable to the Jews, but the Tsars were the opposite. And therefore the feeling was you shouldn't make Pirud and Chalukim among the people. I don't remember the exact number of it, but if you look, if you really care about this, you look in the Shalos and Shibbos and Etziv, Meshiv Dover, um, or you can go online and say Nitziv and separatism or something like that. And it has been translated many times in English uh, if this is something that inter- interests you. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, um, if you know uh, the Jewish uh, tradition, Shulchan Aruch has listed a whole bunch of days you're supposed to fast. Now we don't, or at least I don't, but they're out there and by tradition, they're supposed to be somehow or other the anniversaries of sad events. They're not in the Gemara, you know? And as far as I can see, it's not in the Seder Olam exactly. Nevertheless, it's out there. And one of them, and it goes, and this is in chapter uh, 580 in Archaim, Tough Kof Beis. It's called Yamim Shemis Am These are days supposed to fast. I'm sure I've mentioned this in the past. But tomorrow is one of those days. And the, the I'm just lifting out of here. Bechav Kimmel Bo, this Kapsu called Yisrael, Al Shevet Ben Yamin, Alini Pelagish Begiba. Tomorrow is the anniversary of the beginning of the war of the Pelagish Begiba. Isn't that amazing? And according to some sources that I saw, there's like a, some traditions that say the Pelagish Begiba also happened that day. So here we're going back 3,000 years to the period of the Shoftim. There was a, a time when there was no, you know, the period of the Shoftim has to be understood. Like I like to say, the Articles of Confederation, you know, no, there was no federal government. There was no government. There's no king, no nothing. That means there's no cops. Uh, there's no uh, army. There's no Department of the Treasury. There's no Department of... Um, you know, taxation and, and customs duties and all that kind of stuff. To use modern language, there's no control in the corona. There's no fa- fachi, you know, and all that. 
Now, it's much like, you know, it's an anti-vaxxer or something like that. You want to you get vaxxed? You do. You don't want, you don't want. So do what you, what you want. It's always been a, a big uh, ideological debate, at least for the last 150 years, whether that was a good thing or not, or not a good thing, um, that period. The Pashup Shadda seems it's not a good thing, although strong arguments were made that there was a positive period in Jewish history. How do you evaluate historically the Kufasa Shoftim? But if you're familiar with the book of Shoftim at all, which I imagine, I'm sure some of the people at least, if, I, hope, I hope many listening to this have read the book of Shoftim in the Bible, the book of Judges, you will perhaps recall that after Joshua dies, there's this period of several hundred years, I repeat, several hundred years. How long exactly is not so simple? Because the Mepharshim debate how to count the years of the different judges, should you count them consecutively or not, that's a whole mavucha by itself. Uh, if you're at all interested in this, just get a hold of Benasha ben Israel, the conciliator, and you look at the part about the judge, and you'll see all these different charts, how the different Mepharshim calculate the uh, period, the chronological period of each fate. You know what I mean? When it says this guy was seven years and that guy was eight years, does it mean they're back-to-back? Was there a period in between? There's the Barbadell, I remember, and the Ralbag, and the Seder Olam, and oh, this one, that one, the other one. Okay? So you have this period of several hundred years, and you have various Shoftim, you know, the seven or eight important Shoftim. It's Osniel Benkanas, it's Ehud, it's, uh, I don't know, Gideon, Dvorah, Gideon, Shimshon, uh, who am I forgetting, Yiftach, and so forth, you know, like that. And the cycle is pretty similar. You know, the Jews do bad. The Goyim come attack them. Eventually they do tshuva when they have no other choice. And God sends a shofet, etc. But then at the end of the book are the two big scandals. The Pesel Mich on the one hand, Pelegish Gib on the other. Pesel Mich has to do with the fact that a guy set up a church and um, it flourished. Okay? And nobody did anything about it. And uh, that means that there was an idolatrous shrine. There was a church with a Vodazorah smack in the middle of Klai Yisrael. Where exactly is not so simple. The, it seems it was up there in Tel Dan. It's all the way up, all the way up north. Um, so, you know, maybe it wasn't smack in the middle of the Jews, but it was definitely in Jewish territory. And people uh, went there and respected it and so on and so forth. Uh, Offer carbonus or whatever. That's scandal number one. Uh, maybe for hundreds of years. I mean, depending how you read it. Uh, you know, maybe it was around all throughout the biblical period. I mean, down to the Chorban Beis Amish, which is which is mind-boggling, because how did a king like David and Melch or Shlomo, they're from guys? I mean, you know, Shaul, I mean, yes, I'm from kings. How come they didn't get rid of an idol and an idolatrous shrine? Uh, I always say, imagine if somebody built a church you know, in the main street of B'nai Brak, you know, like that. A Jewish Abu Now, um, that's scandal number one. Scandal number two is the Pilegish Forgive, which is the famous gang rape, uh, where you have a repeat of the story of um, Lot and Sodom. It's very similar. But Sodom knew they were Sodomites. Okay, I expect that, you know. They were wicked. But in the case we're talking about, um, which is very weird, the case we're talking about, uh, the perpetrators were Jewish. So now was a gang of juvenile delinquents or something like that um, attacked a Jewish lady and more or less raped her to death. It's a gang rape. Now, I don't know if it's, she, it's not 100% clear if she died literally from that 
or shortly thereafterwards. Why do we have to get into that kind of uh, physical detail? The bottom line is, they did it. Now, um, I'll tell you what I mentioned. I'm saying it for a reason. So, the result, as I think many know, is that the tribe of Benjamin was wiped out. Almost. Okay? You set up a train of events that the tribe of Benjamin was wiped out. And this, and the fact that a whole tribe was wiped out uh, was considered a national disaster. And that happened tomorrow on Chav Kimbal Am Shvat. Now the language is extremely interesting because um, of what it focuses on. To be perfectly honest, it doesn't say tomorrow is the day that the tribe of Benjamin was wiped out. Rather it says tomorrow is the day where, a, where the first of a chain of events took place, which by the end of that chain of events saw the extermination of the tribe of Benjamin. Come on. Okay? That they came against Benjamin Aliske uh, Now, very quickly, uh, the story, which you can read yourself, is that there was this uh, Levi, and he lived in Ephraim, and in order to understand the story, what I would tell you to do is what I'm doing at this minute, which is Google. Uh, if you can go in Hebrew, Google, you know, uh, I'd say tribes of Israel. Let me see. Tribes of Israel. It's a nice color map you can see. Yep, here it is. And uh, so just Google 10 lost tribes. Okay, it's good enough. And if you do, or you could get any Hebrew one, it doesn't matter. Any, uh, uh, you know, of the Shvatim. And the reason I'm saying it's for a very specific reason, you understand the story. If you know the geography, you don't get it. So you'll see, I'm, I, you could do it in Hebrew, you can do it in English. And when you look at the Shvatim, you'll see that the middle of Israel, what you and I would call the middle, the belly button of Eretz Yisrael, would be three tribes. Uh, Ephraim, Don, Binyamin. Now, Don would be like in the Tel Aviv area, so forget them. They're not negated to the story. But Ephraim is smack in the middle of Israel. The tribe immediately to the south of Ephraim is Benjamin, Binyamin. And the tribe immediately to the south of that is Yehuda. So I think we kind of know this because, you know, from Gemara, based on Migdash, what's half and half and so forth. So the story is that the guy lived, he was a, a Levi, but Levim lived all over the place. And he lived in Ephraim. He had a concubine, a Pelegish, and they had a domestic quarrel. And she ran away to her father's house, which I remember was maybe in Beislechem, somewhere over the line in Judah, which is not that far away. You understand? But you have to pass through a state. So it's like if I was going, I don't know, to, uh, I guess, to suppose I was going to New Jersey. I'm in Maryland. I'm in Baltimore. Suppose I was going, you know, south of Lakewood. I don't even have to go to Lakewood, you know. New Jersey. Meanwhile, I have to pass through Delaware, get it? But the whole trip is an hour and a half. You know, two hours. It's not that long. So, she ran away. She ran away not that far away from her house. It's a journey, but you're not far away house. And she passed through a state in the middle to get to her state, which is in Judah, because she came from a Yehuda family. By the time the story proceeds, they wanted to patch up the domestic quarrel. Again, she was a concubine. Pelegish, and um, he did. So notice he traveled to her house, and they patched things up, and it says her father 
I remember the story, I'm going by memory, was uh, in favor of the reconciliation. And uh, what do you call it? So everything's good. So that means now they have to go back home. And again, if you look at the map, which I think is so important, you will see that had he set off early in the day, the area to cross in Benjamin is not that big. He could have gotten home by evening time. So this is something you and I, you know, it's a different world because we have automobiles and we have highways and we have, um, you know, uh, lights on the highways and things like that, which we take for granted. By the way, I live in Maryland. They have good highways. I've been in some other states like West Virginia. You know, you're in pitch black. It's no joke. So that's what happened that time. You know, in the old days, there was no highways with roads. And, you know, in general, Eric Israel is bumpy and in the middle of the country's rocks and hills and who knows what. So I'm sure there was a derrick that people went. And... Um, in order to get back home, they need to leave early in the day. But for you know, the father said, "Let me make you breakfast." Eventually, let me make you lunch, and this and that and the other. So tragically, they didn't leave till like midday. And if you're leaving, then there's not enough time to traverse the state of Benjamin, the shape of Binyamin, to get back home. So that means you have to stop in a hotel in, in Binyamin overnight, a Best Western or something like that. And the story was that they stopped in Giva, which you today call Giva Shaul, which you know is part of Yerushalayim, but at that time, it wasn't. The um, town of Yerushalayim itself was still held by the Goyim, by the Amori. This is before King David captured Jerusalem. And when they stayed overnight, there began a whole train of events that the guy, and by the way, the story is, they said, where should we stay overnight? The hotel in Jerusalem is cheap. He said, oh, we're not going to go to Goyim. We're going to go to a Jewish town, thinking that in a Jewish town, you're safe. And of course, we all know that when they came to that Jewish town and one guy took them in, the local B'nai B'lial, those low-life scuzzballs, uh, who may have been from, I mean, as we know today, it's it's got nothing to do, when I say from, it's got nothing to do with where Yeyama consensus, you know? They're all kind of sick dogs out there. And they were B'nai B'lial, these were Jews, and they wanted to, and they did exactly like Saddam, and they wanted to rape the guy. Hear what I said? And instead, he put, you know, he was no hero. And he pushed his concubine out. And they raped her to death. Or at least by the time in the morning. It's not 100% clear. Like I said, I don't want to go into details. But let's put it this way. They messed her over so much that by morning she was dead. And famously, he realized, this is a town where there's no law and order. I'm not saying a word. I'm getting the heck out of here. Remember, it wasn't that far away to go back to his where he lived, because he was in Ephraim. So it wasn't that far away. That's why it was tragic. And when he got home, he chopped her up into 12 pieces, and he sent it out to all the tribes, and he said, there's no law and order over here, and what are we going to do about it? And the whole cholesterol stopped what they were doing. That's the most remarkable point. In other words, he obviously hit on the right tactic. You and I today would say, like this, ew, disgusting, you chopped her up, and nibble on mace. And I have a book I, I mentioned before, uh, what's it called, Nakhl or Halacha, where he takes that in-in-in point of view, you know, which is one way of learning the Nakh, you know, going exactly by the Talmudic law. Uh, of course, the Gansu Pelegis Begiva is against the Talmudic law, but, you know, and and he has a section, or I didn't read it, called How Could He Chop Her Up as Nivola Mace? But obviously he had his reasons. I don't mean to be funny, I'm serious about this. And it worked. That's the most important part. You know, let me put it this way. When he sent a piece of her to Ephraim, and a piece of her to Don, and a piece of it to Reuven, and a piece of it to uh, uh, Usher, and another piece of Naftali, they didn't say like this, 
Oh, you were violating the nivel mace. Shame on you. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? That would be like the coin. Remember that story where um, one coin stabbed the other in the base of Mishamar and Yuma, and they were more worried about the tumma of the of the knife than the fact that the guy killed somebody. You know, that the, the tumma was bigger than the Shrikas Dama. They didn't do that. They understood that this is a special case, and the guy's doing it for a reason, and he's trying to get law and order over here. And all the tribes dropped what they're doing, and they came to uh, wherever it was, to Shiloh, I think. Which, by the way, is not far away. Again, Shiloh, some of us have been there, uh, roughly where Shiloh is. It's in Ephraim. Okay? So all this stuff, the action is taking place, because the Michigan was there. The action is taking place all in central Israel. And then comes the weirdest part of the whole story, which was they told the tribe of Binyama to give the guys up, the perpetrators, and the tribe of Binyama said no. Why the tribe of Binyama said no is the hard part. Okay? Is the hard part. You know, why would they do that? You could on the one, it's push up shot, they were just stubborn. So boy, did they make a mistake because they got exterminated. And and I repeat, the language of the Shulchan Ark, which is a Brysa, is listen very closely because it takes place tomorrow. There's the anniversary. Listen very closely. Bechaf Gimel Bo, Nizkabtu, Kol Yisrael, Al Shevet Binyamin, Al Inyan Pelag should give up. Hear, hear the language? The tribes of Israel gathered together. Al Shevet Nizkabtu, they all gathered. Al Shevet Binyamin. So don't say they attacked them. They came there to demand something be done about this. Now, this is what reminds me of Chaim Walder, all the best thing. You know, if you want to take from a strictly point of view, a Talmudic law point of view, how do you know what happened? Where are your Adam? Where was the Hasra? And so forth. And there is Ramban. I believe Ramban talks about the load situation. There is a long Ramban that goes into all this. And he's, you know, he tries to work it all out. And he tries to work it out Talmudically. If I remember correctly, in the end, he, he said, forget it. It was just like Hora Shaw, you know, um, because it doesn't work Talmudically. And, uh, and, and which makes sense, because everybody was hot for, for justice. Uh, it would be super disgusting if the perpetrators got away with this because of Talmudic, what's the right word, loopholes. You understand? And this, this is the problem you have when, when we learn Gemara. You know, the Gemara is telling the halacha, and that's true. But that doesn't mean, you know, the halacha is for regular times. That doesn't mean you always follow the halacha. Understand me very clearly. I mean, the Beisdin, you understand, the Sanhedrin, they don't always follow just the Talmudic rules. Like I mentioned the other day, they know when to hold them, when to fold them. And in a case like this, like I say, nobody says, oh, you did worse, you chopped up her body. Um, that was a disgusting uh, way of approaching it. They said, we believe this happened. Nikarn uh, Diramis. It's clear that this happened. Last week, was it? I looked at the, uh, and my wife will get there, Mishpacha and, and, and Ami. I usually don't read it, but uh, because of the whole Chaim Wall thing, I read this article last week, I guess, or two weeks ago, that they interviewed Rabbi Zev Cohn, who I know in Chicago, and he runs like a special basin, take care of molester situations, something something like that. You can read the article yourself. And I remember they asked him, he said, how do you deal? I thought it was an interesting article. And uh, and he's a good guy. And he said, how do you know it's true? 
you know, when people come and say Plony was molesting me or whatever, because again, you don't have Adam, Hasra, and this and that and the other. Uh, and he said, Nikarn Divriamis. That's what his words. I'm reading from the paper. Nikarn Divriamis. That's what happened over here. Nikarn Divriamis. They could tell it happened. You know, the guy didn't chop his wife for nothing. And uh, so they trolled the tribe and Yaman do something about it. And the tribe and Yaman said no. So it could be the tribe and Yaman simply said, we're like John C. Calhoun. We believe in states' rights. Nobody tells us what to do. In which case, that's disgusting. W- what it means is like this. We'd rather allow an avla to happen and our independence not be di- uh, diminished by, by a, a, a hair. You understand? It's like they used to have the blacks in the South. They used to do all lynchings. And every time they wanted to pass anti-lynching laws, I think lynching was a bad idea. Anti-lynching laws in American history, the Southern Senator and Congress goes, oh, it's the state's rights. You understand? Oh, you can't do that. So they didn't deny the lynching was happening. They just said like this, it's more important to us, you know, to keep the state's rights than to stop the lynching. That's pretty disgusting. And if that's what Binyamin meant, then then Binyamin was disgusting. Uh, you know, there are those who say that um, what Binyamin objected to was that the the Klaistro wanted to wipe out the whole town as as an example, as a kind of a kind of irnidachas. Not literally irnidachas. I understand the Talmudic laws aren't exactly that, but that kind of business. In other words, they wanted to say like this: a Navala Azab bad thing has happened in Klaistro. We're going to make an example and we'll kill out the town. Now I can tell you right now, if Binyamin themselves and I don't know why they didn't do this, had gone and punished the perpetrators, the whole thing would have gone away. You get what I'm saying? They could have saved themselves a huge mess, but for some reason they didn't do it. Were these Benebli all well-connected? Were they related? Were they from the Ritzy Rich? I mean, you wouldn't think so. Was it? For, who knows? You get it? But if they themselves... You know, like the Gemara always says, if there's din downstairs, then there's no din upstairs. If there's no din downstairs, then Hashem steps in. Then there's din upstairs. That's exactly what happened over here. If the if the tribe of Yemen would have said, I guess, we will handle this. It was a bummer. Shouldn't have happened. We'll make sure it doesn't happen. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. In the history of the Jewish people, I'm sorry to say, over the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, there weren't crimes. There weren't rapes. I mean, the Torah talks about it. There weren't murders. There were. LMI, the local besom takes care of it. You get it? There could be a, 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 a knife fight and somebody gets murdered in Menasha or Zavulin or Usher. Uh, such things happen. That's exactly what a basin is for. The Torah precisely writes laws for those situations. This week is Mishpatim. You know, Makish, Wameis, Mos, You know, they're rules. If you don't enforce those kind of rules, then you're basically saying like this, and you need for a vigilante. Get it? Because in other words, let me put it this way. I'm not going to live in a town where cr- criminals go around and, and can get away with things because they might attack me. So at the very least, I'm getting two guns. And next guy that burps, I'm shooting him. Because better that, then you go mess me over or my family. So there was a terrible breakdown. And by the time it's all over, as we all know, the tribe was wiped out. So it's just very interesting to me. So, for, so I'm calling this to your attention because this is um, tomorrow. And... There's even those who say that the Pesel Michal, which is a different thing, happened the same day. But that, I don't see in the Shulchan Aruch. I've only seen in rather obscure sources. Uh, this is Beferis in the Shulchan Aruch. So this is a, 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 it's in the tour. It's a famous Brisa. It's not in the Gemara or anything like that. Uh, but it is 
you know, uh, well-known, Ad Kedei Kach, that Rabbi Yezukar included in the Shulchan Aruch. It's called Yamim Shem Esanim Behem. Now, I know you don't fast. You know, I, I've never heard anybody fast on these days. But, you know, it, it, it is a day, let's put it this way, especially in light of, of uh, some of the current events, they it being very thoughtful because uh, somebody was uh, mistreated and because the system couldn't take care of it, so they had to go sort of outside the system, we might say. Um, the system should have been that the, the shave itself has a based in at local level and takes care of things because it didn't happen. The Kali throw got involved. As it says over here, in this cop to Kali throw, I'll shave Ben Yaman and Pinkleish will give up. And that made things worse. You see, it's Menashemayim because the story is that Ben Yaman said, okay, we'll take you guys all on. So it was Ben Yaman against the other 12 tribes in a battle. And Ben Yaman won the first two days and killed thousands. I forget how many thousands. Killed many thousands of the Jews. That's the worst possible thing that could have happened to Minyamin. Because he got all the other Jews hot for revenge. You beat us the first day and killed, I don't remember, 10,000, 20,000, a lot of people. And the second day also, I remember. And so that meant that anybody who had friends and relatives was killed was seething with hatred for Binyamin, like berserk fashion. So when on the third day, whatever it was, the Jews finally prevailed through a certain stratagem. They went crazy. Mamash went crazy, Klai Yisrael. And they not only defeated Binyamin, but the Pasik says they proceeded to kill every man, every woman, every child. I think the Bahamas too, if I remember correctly. And uh, and go nuts. In other words, that's what happens in a battle. Get it? When you lose you know, all control, do you understand what I'm saying? Had Binyamin lost the first day, maybe, probably they wouldn't have been so hot, tempered, and they would have killed whoever they killed in the battle and then punished the town of Giva. And and then that's it. But this way, because Binyamin won the first two days, so the Kalisra was, 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 was on a wild rampage and they exterminated everybody until, as we all know the famous story, then they said, I guess, whoops, maybe we went too far. And it was once they killed everybody and stabbed and smashed the babies against the rocks and all the other junk. Then, after they, 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 they what should I say, they, once they, the lust for revenge was um, satisfied, satiated, then their mind kicked in, then their their conscience kicked in, so, oh, we don't want to wipe out a whole shave it. And then they did that famous shtick where they got all the girls to go dancing, and there's also, you know, there's another part with Yavish Gilad, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so, um, it's a breakdown of the system. Um, I mention because, first of all, it's tomorrow, and second of all, it, it, it goes to show you, you better have in place, I mean, we don't have plebs we give a situation nowadays, but yeah, plebs we give a situation in a very different way, in much less form, with this molesting stuff. It's not the same thing, I get it. But the notion that people are doing things and, and, and nothing's being done to punish, that can sometimes lead to like crazy. You understand? To like crazy. But I repeat, and with this I'll conclude, that the language of the Bryce is not the day that they exterminated the tribe. Because that would make sense to me. Right? A whole shave, it was like a holocaust. The whole shave, it was wiped out. Um, I want you to understand, there were like 600 survivors, men, and they all grabbed like one woman from the dancing, and they got 400 from the Yavash Gilad. I don't mean to be funny about this, but those 600 survivors actually ended up doing financially very well. Do you, do you cop?
uh, the whole tribe was gone. But the territory of Binyamin belonged to the Shev Binyamin. So whereas before there were thousands of Benjaminites, and each guy had a small piece of land, now there's only 600 of them, and I get to take, if I'm the survivor, I get to take you know, all my cousins' land, all because they're all dead. The Klal Yisrael didn't want to take away the, the, the Chela Karka of Binyamin. You understand? They just lost it. They lost it. And then and afterwards they realized it was bad that they lost it. They lost their temper. So whoever married like the grand the, the great great grandparents of Saul, King Saul, I mean probably I mean they got a big piece of property. Because that's what it was around. Now obviously, once they had children and the children, children the process reasserted itself and they started dividing up the land. But you get what I'm saying. Tribe Yemen had an unusual land ownership pattern uh, caused by these terrible events. I've gone long enough, so once again I want to thank our anonymous sponsor. I thought that it's an interesting thing for us to, uh, to notice, otherwise tomorrow would go by. Most of you probably wouldn't even know what's happening. With that, I wish you a good day. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.